This is People Every Day. Coming up... Someone is responsible for what happened, and I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. Digging deep into Alec Baldwin's first sit-down interview following the tragic shooting death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. What he says he knew and didn't know and his take on what really happened that fateful day on set of his film Rust. It's December 3rd. Hi, everyone, and happy Friday. This is People Every Day, and I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein. Today, we got some insight into a major story we've been covering for a while now. Actor and producer Alec Baldwin sat down with Good Morning America's George Stephanopoulos for an emotional first interview six weeks after the gun that he was holding on set of his film Rust discharged and killed the film cinematographer, 42-year-old Helena Hutchins. By all accounts, she was a master at her craft as well as a loving wife and mother to her nine-year-old son. Baldwin, who has been named in multiple lawsuits since the incident and is cooperating with the ongoing police investigation, did not seem to hold back in this interview emotionally or when it came to the details of what he says happened. He answered a lot of questions and raised a few others. So joining me now, to dig into this and only this today are People.com's managing editor, Charlotte Triggs, and senior night editor, Michael Joya, who has been covering every beat of this news since it broke. Hi, guys. Hey, Janine. How you doing? I'm good. Well, I want to start by talking about why he felt the need to set the record straight right now, as opposed to, you know, after the investigation wraps. So let's listen in first to what he said about that. I felt there were a number of misconceptions most of it from sources I really wouldn't concern myself about, but a couple that I did concern myself about where there were these authoritative statements about this is what happened. The sheriff's department hasn't even released a report to the DA yet. The reason I wanted to sit down with you is because I really feel like I can't wait. So, guys, uh, why do you think this is significant, this this timing, uh, this platform? I'm going to start with you, Charlotte. I don't know. I think it's... You know, he's been sitting there for six weeks or so, really just devastated. We know he's very emotional, thinking about it every day. He alluded to, like, waking up in the middle of the night, like, having nightmares about a gun going off. And it's been haunting him since the moment that it happened. And just knowing that it is not going to be resolved formally by any law enforcement for such a long period of time. I think he just kind of wanted to get the word out. It's also possibly prompted by these two lawsuits that have been filed by different members of the production that name him specifically. Michael, what do you think about George Stephanopoulos and, and, and this being the medium for him? Yeah, I just think that we have to remember that like Alec Baldwin is a human being, and this is a very sad story. And I think that the night that it happened, it kind of just like exploded, right? We heard, you know, that there was an incident on the set of Rust, and then a couple of hours later, we hear it's Alec Baldwin. We see this picture of him distraught in the street, on the phone, and because he's such a big celebrity, it just kind of exploded in the media. And I think that, you know, that's that's why. he He wants to set the record straight, and he wants to tell his story. And I think that this is um, his path to healing. Yeah. Well, you bring it up there. It was such an emotional interview. And and he talked about, as you said, Charlotte, being haunted by this and the nightmares, um, all of that. He's gutted um, about what happened to Helena Hutchins, his colleague. He actually broke down very early in the interview when he talked about her. Let's listen to that. 
She was someone who was loved by everyone who worked with and liked by everyone who worked with and admired. I, I want to talk about this a bit more. He's got to be experiencing just the gamut of emotions, right? Like sadness, um, anger, fear, and others. So uh, what did he go into into that regard of like what the days since have been like for him? It's interesting. I think that um, they at the very end of the interview, George Stephanopoulos asked him, he's like, so you feel sad, you feel angry, you feel this, you feel that, do you feel guilty? And he very pointedly said, no, I don't feel guilty because I don't feel that I was responsible. And if I did feel that I was responsible, I think I would have killed myself, which is a shocking statement, a very jarring statement. He said, I don't say that lightly, you know what I mean? And then this morning, he actually posted something on social media saying thank you to his wife and his kids for giving him purpose and giving him a reason to live. Mm. And that's something that I think just points you towards how devastating this was, how horrible it was, yeah. but also how shocked he was because he really had no idea. And he goes into some of the mechanics of of that day and how it worked. He had no idea yeah. there was a bullet in there such that when she collapsed, he didn't know what had happened. He thought she fainted or that she'd had a heart attack. The notion that there was a live round in that gun did not dawn on me till probably 45 minutes to an hour later. 45 minutes to an hour? Well, she's laying there and I go, did she get hit by wadding? Was there a blank, sometimes those blank rounds have a wadding inside. Yeah, let's get into those details. That responsibility is something that got hammered down and kind of fleshed out, right? He he talked about his role as a creative producer rather than just, you know, a producer in a broader sense, along with his lack of knowledge about any safety concerns on set leading up to this. We've we've heard a lot about those safety concerns. And as you said, Michael, a lot came out immediately about this is what was going on and this is what I saw. So let's listen to some of what he said about his role before everything played out. I am a purely creative producer. My authorities as a producer are casting and script, which are actually married to the role of being a lead actor in a film. Yeah, so uh, like that is clearly like setting a line that I was not the one who was going line by line, making sure this was happening, going in to make sure whatever was going on with the the weapons and all of that. But there were so many concerns and, and, and safety concerns that, came up in the wake of this. So I mean, what do you guys make of him saying he knew nothing about that angle? He had only heard from one person saying that the hotel accommodations weren't up to par, but that he knew nothing about any of the other things that we've heard of in the days since. It's hard. I mean, regardless of what the small details are, I think that he is a was portraying himself as a leader. I mean, he was the star. He was a creative producer. There was so much information that followed. People were unhappy on set. The walkout happened. They were going on with production with people who were not their crew. I think that this is very important. So it's like the distinction early on, we had some experts kind of painting a picture of like what the liability is here, right? So as an actor Mm -hmm. who picked up, who was handed a weapon and the weapon happens to be loaded in a very unique situation, uh, he's very unlikely to be liable um, for the death itself. But as a producer on the film, potentially he was. So I think one of the things he's trying to accomplish here is to delineate what kind of producer he was and to show Mm -hmm. that he really didn't have control. And so when he was on set, he was really on set 
in the capacity of being an actor. As a producer, sure, he had a hand in the storytelling, he had a hand in the casting, but he made a very specific point of saying that he did not hire any of the crew. He did not hire um, even Helena. She, he was apprised of her having been hired and was happy that she'd been hired, but he certainly wasn't hiring the armorer, the prop people. He wasn't the one dealing with a union. In fact, the week before, he had gone on Instagram and said that Ayatsi, the union for um, theatrical people that they should do what they needed to do and if they felt they needed to go on strike to go that's really not like killer businessman talking there like such someone who would be like oh this is my money that's the production that's like an artistic person talking there so I actually find mm, it mm-hmm. very plausible next up more discussion on Alec Baldwin's in-depth interview and what he shared about the Hutchins family and how they're coping in the wake of their loss stay tuned Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. I'm back now with people Charlotte Triggs and Michael Joya. And, well, guys, one of the biggest takeaways for me was Baldwin saying he doesn't feel responsible for the shooting because, and we touched on this, he didn't even pull the trigger, which I know is news to a lot of people. As you guys said earlier, he went to great lengths to explain the mechanics of what happened right before the gun fired. So let's take a listen to that. So if you're shooting directly into the camera lens, you're not aiming I'm not at shooting her. into the camera lens. I'm shooting just off. Just off. Right, in her direction. I'm holding the gun where she told me to hold it, which ended up being aimed right in below her armpit. That was what I was told, I don't know. This was a completely incidental shot, an angle that may not have ended up in the film at all. But we kept doing this, and it was so then I said to her, now in this scene, I'm gonna cock the gun. And I said, do you wanna see that? And she said, yes. So I take the gun and I start to cock the gun. I'm not going to pull the trigger. I, I said, do you see that? She goes, well, just cheat it down and tilt it down a little bit like that. And I cock the gun. I go, can you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? And she says, and then I let go of the hammer of the gun and the gun goes off. Uh-huh. And when we spoke to a weapons expert the day after the shooting, he said under no circumstances should a weapon be pointed at someone. But Baldwin is claiming it sounds that he was told otherwise in that moment, right, as they were marking this scene out. Is that what you make of this, Charlotte? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, this is, I actually think he's done an amazing job explaining himself here because one of the pervasive questions in this whole situation was, why would you point a gun at somebody? Why would you have a gun yeah. pointed at somebody? But he has said that basically under direction from the director of photography, like that is where he needed to be pointing it and that the positioning was incidental. He also describes it as such that, you know, if you're in a, doing a shootout scene, there's there's more where he talks about how if you're you're doing a shootout scene or if you're being shot on camera, that yeah, obviously somebody's pointing it at you. So that whole notion that you never pointed at anybody mm-hmm. is 
is not giving the whole picture. Yeah. And, and, he, and he doubled down on the idea that he followed protocol exactly and that, you know, he's not worried about being charged, that he's been told by legal experts that he likely won't be charged and that he did what he has always done on set. What I was taught by someone years ago was, as I said, if I, if I took a gun and I popped a clip out of a gun or I manipulated the chamber of a gun, they would take the gun away from me and redo it. The prop person said, don't do that, when I was young. And they'd say, one thing you would need to understand is we don't want the actor to be the last line of defense against a catastrophic breach of safety with the gun. Mm, so Michael, what have other celebrities said about this, about what they do? I mean, George Clooney, right? Mm-hmm. It was interesting last night how he addressed that. George asked him uh, pointedly about uh, George Clooney's comments. And, you know, Clooney said stuff like, you know, I always check a gun. I really hope that Alec did that. And Alec said, you know, I, first of all, that the comments weren't helpful. And then he said, I have done the protocol that has worked for me in the past and I've handled guns before. And so this has always worked for me. And this time it clearly didn't. Um, you know, we've been reporting this for so long and it's just, I, I feel like the the minor details keep on changing of it was, first it was a misfire, then it was an accidental shooting. Now it's I didn't pull the trigger. So I, I just, I feel like there's still so many questions that remain. But let me jump in. You want to know what? I don't think that it, he doesn't appear to be somebody who is a gun expert because it's like he's very much deferring to the experts handing him the gun and following yeah. what they say to him. It's all the more reason why I think he's, he's certainly painting a successful picture of being somebody who couldn't have taken responsibility because they don't have enough information. And as a matter of fact, I'm told that when you cock a gun, if you pull the hammer back, if you knew what you were doing, you would pull it all the way back and it would lock and then the, the thing wouldn't discharge. So the fact that he released it having not pulled it all the way back is likely indicative that he didn't really know how to handle it. The biggest question, of course, is like, where did it come from? Where did those bullets come from? And he he underscored that. He said it didn't, you know, dawn on him at all that it would be remotely possible that a live bullet could be in that gun. Um, have we heard from any of the key players in this since this interview? I know it just happened, but, you know, there's the armorer. There's the sheriff's office who is doing this investigation. There's also, you know, some of those disgruntled uh, set workers who left the set the day of. Have, have we heard anything new? I mean, the most notable one is obviously the lawyer for Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who's the armorer who presided over this situation. And um, they said that she did her job, that she checked the materials as she was supposed to do, and she also doesn't know how this happened. Previously, that lawyer had put out quite a conspiracy theory saying that the set had been sabotaged, that somebody had put the mm. bullet there, which they addressed last night in the interview, too, and Alex said... After this happened, he could almost believe anything, but it's pretty hard to believe that that could possibly be it. Wow. So do we see this uh, just changing things? It's, it sounds like it's changed things for Alec. He said that he would not do another film that involves guns. Um, but uh, the ripple effects in Hollywood from all of this, like, Michael, how do you foresee this playing out. Yeah, and he directly addressed his career, you know. He was asked last night if his career, if he thinks his career is over, and he said it could be. I, I don't know how you bounce back from something like this, you know, knowing that this, she was a mother, 
you know, to a nine-year-old son knowing that she died. Yeah. It's just, it's terribly tragic. Yeah. And like Michael just mentioned, her nine-year-old son. So Charlotte, what more do we know about the family now? And, and, and what did Alex say? So Alec met with the husband and their and the nine year old after this happened, and they spent some time together while everybody while everybody from the production was still in New Mexico. They had dinner together. They went to the memorial service together, which he says was a beautiful moment. I found it fascinating that Alec actually hopes that the husband does file a lawsuit against the production so that he can collect the money that he honestly is entitled to for having lost his wife to basically an industrial accident that happened on the set. And he came short of saying that it was due to negligence. But, you know, I think he's very much prepared to see a lawsuit like that filed and would probably honestly support it. That was People.com Senior Night Editor Michael Joya and People.com Managing Editor Charlotte Triggs on Alec Baldwin's first sit-down interview since the tragedy on set of rest. For more on this story, head over to People.com. And now, that was heavy stuff, so here's a double header of something to make you smile heading into the weekend. The sports world is feeling and giving the love these days as star athletes and tiny coaches are bringing joy in unexpected ways. For starters, we've all misdialed phone numbers before, right? But never have I ever accidentally contacted a professional athlete. <laughs> While Michigan's Notre Dame prep high school freshman basketball team sure has. They created a group chat, and one of the players accidentally entered the wrong number for a teammate, then received a reply he didn't expect. It was from Tampa Bay Buccaneers cornerback Sean Murphy Bunting. Then came a FaceTime call from running back Leonard Fournette, who gave the boys a tour of the Bucks locker room. And more players hopped on to say hi, including Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, Richard Sherman, then five-time Super Bowl MVP Tom Brady joined the FaceTime, and the boys went wild. Here's what Brady said about that moment. I just see all these kids on the screen, and then I saw the kids are taking pictures because it shows up on the phone. I love it. Like, what are the chances? <laughs> and speaking of kids who love sports, there's a little boy nicknamed Coach Cal who got the chance of a lifetime to give his favorite hockey team, the Peterborough Peets, their pregame speech during his one-day contract with the team. While all eyes and ears were on six-year-old Callan Perks from Ontario, Canada, he held the floor on his own and gave the team exactly what they needed to hit the ice. Today, we won. Get back home, shoot home, spread out, pass home. And they did. The team beat their opponent three to two. I say all thanks to Coach Cal. Somebody renew that guy's contract. <laughs> Guys, have a wonderful weekend and pop over to our page on Apple Podcasts to rate and comment on the show. Talk soon. People Every Day is produced by Julia Weaver with help from Fallon Harge, Darby Masters, and Aliza Sessler. Executive produced by Christina Everett and mixed by Mary Dew, Bahid Frazier, and Josh Fisher. People's executive producers are David Flumenbaum and Zoe Ruderman. Special thanks to Nikki Etor, Will Lee, and the incredible staff at iHeartRadio and People. <laughs> 